We're going to be in Revelation chapter 8, the first five verses here. We'll read that in a moment. But we're starting a new series today. Um, Through the the summer, we're going to do different teachings on prayer, and I've called the sermon series Reverse Thunder, and I'll explain that why later. Um, If if you're a poet or you like poetry, you'll recognize it from George Herbert. Um, If you don't know him, that's fine, too. I mean, I didn't like poetry in high school either. It's, <laughs> it's become a new <laughs> acquired taste. But the, the whole idea of prayer, where I want to just introduce prayer and then we'll ta- read our sermon text, is it's the gospel. It, what it's designed to do is to bring us to God. So it, it changes the, our relationship to God so that we're not talking about him, but we get to talk to him. It, it changes the whole dynamic. And when you think about prayer, it, it, is, it is quite simple on the one hand, because all prayer is is engaging in conversation with, with God. And Christian prayer then would be engaging in conversation with the triune God, uh, talking to God the Father uh, through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it's so simple that we, can te- we teach our kids. I mean, that's what we do every night at dinner. We try, dear God, thank you. It, it's so simple. Yet I also know that from experience, myself, from talking to Christians, that prayer is quite intimidating. Uh, to, to develop a prayer life that, uh, it beca- that's habitual, it be something you do repetitively, uh, regularly, to where it's powerful, where you feel like you're coming into the, go- you really are coming into God's presence. Uh, it's intimidating. One, because what we're doing is sitting down to talk to the, our creator, the Holy One, right? pulling on the th- string that runs up into the throne room, and what if he pulls back? <laughs> and then you add the pressure, well, just what Jesus taught, that if you aren't praying privately, if you talk all the time in public but never take the time yourself to pray, he calls those people hypocrites. And the implication being that if you are a Christian, you will pray. It's, it's going to become part of your DNA. It's, it's something that just happens. That is, Martin Luther said, to be a Christian and not pray is as possible as it is to be alive without breathing. Right, so just by saying that, I'm sure some, there's guilt out there. That I know I haven't prayed as much as I ought. And then add all the different examples of the prayer warriors you know. Martin Luther, again, because we just come through Galatians. I've got lots of stories. But he, he famously said once that I had so much to do today that if I didn't spend three hours in prayer, I would never get it all done. It's the complete opposite of the way we think. I'm busy. I don't have time to pray. Right? So it's intimidating. You know, we get busy. We get distracted. We have these things called phones that are shiny. <laughs> um, or we have real life things that say, I don't know if I want to talk to God. And so my goal is really simple as we start this series. Is my, my goal is, if you're not praying, start. <laughs> Pray more than you are. And if you are someone who's um, you know, a disciple, who's been praying for, for years and years, and we have much to learn from you, please speak up and teach us. But also say, uh, Paul's prayer is always that we would come to know God better that we might become more aware of his love. And I, I pray that this series will help us do that. And so let's look at Revelation 8, and we'll jump into this. This is a, 
a description of, of what prayer does. So focus on that part. I know Revelation gets you distracted. This is the word of our God. When the Lamb, talking about Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we know that there are many of us who struggle to pray or wish we had a more dynamic prayer life. I, I pray that as we see this beautiful image of you using our prayers, that it would motivate us to run to you uh, through faith in the gospel. Help us to see that you're a God who really hears us and does act on our behalf. We pray these things in Jesus' name. I'll start with a question. Would you describe your prayer life, your prayers as earth-shattering? <laughs> that was a description we just saw. Uh, making a difference. Are they powerful? Uh, what adjectives would you use to describe your prayer life? I know that one of the questions that ultimately comes up, I'm just going to bring it up right now, is that if, if God is sovereign, why in the world should we pray? If, if, if God is the king, the creator, and absolutely everything happens according to his will, and there's nothing that happens, good or bad, that takes part apart from his permission, uh, leaders being raised up and torn down, feasts, famine, success, failure, everything in the palms of his hands, why should you pray? It's a question that's come up in the news. It was on the New York Daily News several months ago after the San Bernardino shooting. Stop praying and do something. Your prayers aren't helping. So the, there's these things going around the internet, you know, description of prayer, how to do nothing and still think you are helping. And they're all responding to evil. This last month has been horrific. Um, routine traffic stops lead to grieving families. Um, police officers assassinated. Violence in Europe and here. Um, and so people want to know, why pray? What good are our prayers when there's evil to be combated and justice to protest and people to love? Or in the words of the wise prophet Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes, just to clarify. <laughs> uh, bully comes up and punches him off his swing. He says, it's hard to be religious when some people aren't incinerated by lightning. <laughs> it's, it's a silly way to put it, but it's a deep question. If God is king, if he really rules and reigns, and as you read further on in all the way around chapter 8, I mean, all this dramatic stuff is happening, death, famine, uh, judgment. Why pray? 
And so that's why I wanted to start here in Revelation is because it's a book that stirs your imagination. It's, it slows us down. It's an imaginative call to prayer because it doesn't just say you should pray. It shows you what prayer does. It's a different way of communicating because it's one thing I can stand up here and say you should pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. That's one way of teaching. Another way is to, to be shown. What's the effect? How do you wake up people who are uh, apathetic, doubtful, fearful, suffering? How do you get people to pray? That's, that's revelation. We're being shown what to do. So, for example, uh, this, this book is written for the church to endure and to conquer and to have a vibrant prayer life, I would argue, in the midst of the worst. We're in the midst of tribulation. So, in Revelation 6.10. It's the prayer of the martyrs. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? We were killed simply for, for believing in the scriptures and communicating the gospel. This is why we say Revelation is actually written not just to tell you about the future, though there is those aspects. It's actually written as a creative, apocalyptic, imaginative way of taking all the images of the Old Testament, piling them all together and say, why, do, why will you not pray to this God? It's for right here, right now. It's for a suffering church, a suffering people. And that's how it was used. And in AD 64, Nero, the Roman emperor, and he's accused of starting a fire and he blamed the Christians and the whole early church is filled with these horrific stories of crucifixion being torn apart by lions, Nero used the bodies of, of Christians as torches to light his garden at night. Just brutal stuff. And Jesus communicates to his churches and says, I, I've seen your faithfulness in the midst of tribulation. You see, I, this is for a suffering people, a hardship. And so the, it's the very opposite of what our culture says. If God is sovereign, why bother praying? If, if bad stuff's happening, it's not making a difference. It turns the question around and says, if God is sovereign, why would you not pray to somebody who has that much control over all these things that are happening, who holds history in his hands, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega? He's the one where it began, and that's, he's the one that everything is rushing to. So, with that introduction, we're going to look at Revelation 8. Um, you do need a couple more ingredients before we get, get into our outline to help, help understand this. Because uh, Revelation is a weird book. It would take a long Sunday school class. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just a different, it's a unique kind of communication. So here's two keys to understand uh, what we're about to look at in Revelation 8. And one, you get, just got to start the book. It tells you exactly what it's about. Revelation 1.1, 1, 1. the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as you read this on your own, it, it, forget everything else. It's, all, it's designed intentionally. It's Jesus showing himself to you through John. And how does he do that? Uh, some of your Bibles might say that he, ma he made it known through John. Other translations will say he signified. And I think that's the better translation is this whole idea is that Jesus is being shown to us through symbols and signs. 
It, it's a picture. I mean, it, you get that. It's obvious. It's, he's showing us Jesus. And so it's meant to be, it's going to be full of metaphors. It's going to be full of abstract pictures to get you to think. <laughs> right? So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ through signs, through symbols, through word pictures. And so what does God do to show people who, are, who aren't praying, who are beaten down by life, who feel like nobody's, who are insignificant and weak, or just those who are luke, lukewarm and apathetic, he says, look at me ruling and reigning. Look at these pictures. I'm here. I'm, Jesus is walking among the lampstands, which is another way of saying he's present in his churches. He's here right now with you. So that's key number one to understand this book. You got to see it's about Jesus. And you got to see it's going to be symbolic. And two, you have to see who you are as we come into this. It, it's assuming some things that you, we're starting in the middle of the book. It's assuming that you know that Jesus has declared that Christians are priests. This is Revelation 1 5. To him who loves us, present tense and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. That's what you are in Christ by faith, is a priest. And so to understand what we're going to read in Revelation 8, you need to see it's about Jesus. You need to see that the church is described as a kingdom of priests. That yeah, that this Jesus is ruling and reigning and he loves you. It is present, active, ongoing tense currently, and that we are his forever forgiven priest, and priests have the privilege of coming right into the presence of God and talking to him. So it's, you are a priest, therefore pray. You have God's ear. Your prayers go right into the throne room. They matter. And that's good news. Those two things. Now we can look at our text. Right, that see that Jesus is being shown to us through symbols and signs for a suffering people to get us to pray and that we are priests. Now let's look at this. We've got prayer's promise, uh, its, its problem, and then the, the power. Right. If you read this book, if you read it straight through, these symbols and signs, they, they're designed and they do on purpose. They just assault your senses. It's relentless. I mean, it's hard to take in to understand exactly what's going on. But it, what it's doing is it's meant to slow us down. I'm a speed reader by nature. I've been reading for a long time. I saw my dad read, so I wanted to be like him, and so I've just been reading a lot. Which is why I didn't like poetry in high school. <laughs> because you can't just speed read poetry and know what's going on at least good poetry, because it's images. It's trying to get you and I to see the world a little differently. And that, that's what's happening here in Revelation. Right? It's, it's a beautiful word picture to say this is what's going on behind the scenes. This is why you should pray and stop and think about it. And so George Herbert was a in the 1600s. He was a pastor and a poet. And he wrote this poem on prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But 
The big idea is he reads this and takes this description and calls prayer reverse thunder. That's the promise. So what does that mean, you say? Good, we're slowing down. <laughs> because the, the normal way to think about prayer is I'm in trouble, I need something, I'm just going to talk, and you shoot up the emergency flare. God, God help me. But what this picture says is that when we pray, we want heaven to thunder and come and do something. It's prayer that thunders not just up there. It's prayer makes thunder come down here and do things. God acting on our behalf. Because right? we normally think of thunder in the sky and the heavens, and the picture is prayers rise up like a sweet-smelling incense into God's presence. And the incense is the prayer of the saints, prayers of Christians. And after everyone stands in silence before God as they see him about to act, everything it just gets thrown down to earth as God hears the prayers and he goes on the warpath for his people. It's reverse thunder. Prayer brings God's actions down to earth. That's an amazing promise. It's saying, the scripture is saying, that when we pray, God not only hears, but he acts. That all of our cries, all of our pleading, our begging, our intercessions, um, our confessions, they come storming back to earth with divine power and blessing. It's a big claim, I know, we all have unanswered prayers. That's a different sermon. But just to chew on that promise, that prayer, prayer is God's way of giving us the dignity of causality, which is a white and nerdy way of saying your prayers matter. God honors his saints by using our prayers and making them come to life in, in human history. It's a pretty big claim. And when the gospel is saying that Jesus reigns, but it's saying that we reign with him in Christ. And one of the ways we reign with him is through prayer. Because God hears Here's us pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those things come down to earth dramatically. He's, he's saying, don't you see what it means to be a priest? To have God's ear, to have it rise into heaven, to see. I know this is cosmic and it's dramatic, but it's saying, don't you see that your prayers matter? They're brought into the very presence of God as a sweet smell. And the earth is rocked and shattered. So why would you not pray if God says, I am king and I honor my loved ones through their prayers? Because right. when, as one other commentator put it, when we pray biblical prayers, we are participating in doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So, question, what are you not praying about? because you don't think God will do anything. Do you pray? Do you pray for your loved ones? Do you pray for peace? Do you pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? For Christ to make himself known to the lost. And the promise is that God will do something, either right now, or you can say this is already, we're waiting for this to happen when it's finally true. And the last prayers come and God, or Jesus descends. And he he answers all of our prayers at the end. That's where history is going. 
His one big answered prayer is all things sad come untrue. So that's the promise. We pray and God acts. It's reverse thunder. Now I know this is the, the question that's hovering. The prayer's problem. Do your prayers thunder? <laughs> Seems pretty quiet when I pray. I don't know about you. History seems to limp along compared to this dramatic picture of prayer. It, and it seems like if I'm going to pray and God's not answering, how, is, how does that promise line up with my reality? Or we, well, we do things because I know just what's taught in the church in the, the last 100 years, that everything in this part of Revelation is for the future. It's not for right now. And people argue that well, this isn't relevant to us. But just, th this, is, this is what I've been saying. This is a picture. Even if it is future, it's saying that all of our, the prayers of the saints are going to come down. Look at what your prayers do. When you feel small and ins insignificant, um, when presidents are elected that you don't want elected, and violence and oppression surround. I mean, this is the reality of Revelation. You know, what I think the problem is for us, and I think what this text puts in our face, is that we have an identity crisis. We don't understand what it means to be a priest. We don't understand the incense. And because of that, we just don't pray. We don't persevere. So let me explain it. Explain what I mean. I said the problem with our prayer life is an identity crisis. We don't remember the gospel. We don't remember that we're, we're priests. You've got to know that in the Old Testament, priests and incense went together. We read some of that in Malachi. But here was the dramatic picture, which is here in, in Revelation as well, is that God's people worshipped in the temple, and you had two rooms in the temple. You had the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could enter once a year. It was separated by a curtain, and just on the other side of the curtain was an altar of incense. That the priest's job was to keep the incense burning day in and day out constantly, so that with the prayers of the saints, the sweet smell would come right into God's presence, and he would hear their prayers and act on them. Right. So, so priesthood and incense in the Bible go together. It was right next to, just outside of God's throne room, if I could put it that way. Now, why, why would that be? Why did God have, this was his command, why did God tell them to burn incense? One, God wanted his home, his house where he dwells, to make you feel welcome. Right? To, to come into God's presence. Incense pictured hospitality. And it was this, somebody who had incense had money, was wealthy. And it was God's way of joyfully welcoming his people to say, I want you to be here. Come in. That, that's, what, that's what life with me is all about. Emmanuel, God with us. But it also pictured in the Old Testament the prayers of God's people. Let our prayers rise to you as the evening incense David prayed. 
And so here's the picture. I'm going to try and keep this simple. Is that the incense would rise into God's presence along with the smoke of the burnt offering for sin. And so in the Old Testament, no prayers were, would be heard or welcomed by God without the, without the blood of the Lamb purifying them. And sin had to be forgiven. This was the priest's job to, to make sure that they kept all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament ceremonial laws, killing the animals, sacrifices day in and day out, so that an unclean people would have their prayers heard by a holy God. That's what we read in Malachi. God was saying, you're not even taking this seriously anymore. That it's better to close the temple than to smell you. you your sin is just revolting. You don't want... You don't want me, so why would I want you? And that's how the Old Testament ends. I'm not listening to your prayers. It's better to just close the door, shut the whole system down, and then 400 years of silence waiting for Jesus. That though the priests, they smell like the dung of the offering when they're supposed to be clean, pure, smell good like incense. Now, I know we're getting weird and abstract for those of us who are Westerners, but just, just think about it. It's not a foreign idea. We've talked about this before. It's, it's prayer's problem. Why would God listen to our prayers as priests when sin defiles us, when it makes us gross? And the language of Malachi is that they're covered in the dung of their offerings. It's just the language of shame. You, you don't welcome people into your house who are covered in manure. You can ask my brother. We didn't let him in. <laughs> he fell in the cow pit. It's the language of separation and shame. Right? Put it this way. If someone bet betrays you, their very presence assaults your senses. You might say, you don't say they literally stink, though they might. Say, just you being around hurts. I don't, I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to see you. I don't want to smell you. I mean, smell is such a powerful memory tool. I mean, I just smell cows, and I think of my grandfather's farm. And I'm sure we all have those family memories of somebody's cologne, of somebody's, uh, I can still smell my grandmother's house, you know, those kind of things. And if someone offends you, and they stink, you don't want them around. So why would God listen to our prayers when sin makes us smell? We smell like the filth we're supposed to get rid of. Or even more, I mean, it's the language of shame. This is the real question. Why, why won't God answer my prayers? He hasn't been answering my prayers. I'm not good enough. Why would God listen to me? Is how we talk. Or I sinned again, so God clearly isn't going to listen to me this time. Or I'm a nobody. Uh, I'm from this neighborhood. I'm, I'm crap. Um, we have different ways of talking about one another. I mean, it just gets into our DNA. Or we just don't feel like God would want anything to do with me because I know who I am. And I know what God demands, and I don't measure up. I mean, that's, 
That's what they did in World War II in the, the death camps. They treated their prisoners not just like dung. That's what they called them day in and day out. And when you hear that and when you're telling yourself that day in and day out, you start to believe it. And all of a sudden we go from these priests in God's presence who have his ear to groveling on the ground, feeling like God isn't going to listen. See, the problem of prayer is that God is a holy God. He threatens all impurities. And he's that good that we wonder, why would he listen to me? And yet at the same time, because of the evil that we've talked about, we need him to hear our prayers and to act. So what gives prayer its power? Let's look at it. I'll read it again. Then the angel took the censer. The censer is just a, a little container that holds incense and coals. He grabbed fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. There were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. It's God's presence coming to the earth. It's like Mount Sinai. What did God show us here earlier in verse 1? He shows who opened the seal. <laughs> the lamb. The sacrificial lamb. The ones who cleans us up, who purifies our prayers. I mean, this is Revelation 5. You think about ourselves. I mean, he got to the end of prayers groveling. It's like, who is worthy to open the scrolls? Who is worthy? Who would God listen to to then act? That's what the scrolls are all about. Who's worthy to open the scroll and to open its seals? And John said in Revelation 5, no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth was worthy. No one could open it. And John just wept because he knew he wasn't worthy. He knew that there was no one on earth who was worthy. Everyone was a sinner, defiled. And then the angel comes to him and says, weep no more. Look, look and see. Look and see Jesus, the lion of the tribe in Judah, the king, the root of David, the promised one. He's conquered so he alone can open the scroll. And then it gets this picture of Jesus coming and opening the scroll, and everyone just screams and shouts in joy. This is what they say, Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. God made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And that's what Jesus told the churches who were being torn to shreds by their enemies. I mean, don't you see it? Jesus is the lamb, the one who pays the penalty for our sin, is what makes our prayers to thunder. It's the whole reason they go right into the throne room. Because you, know you know where he was slain, right? Outside the city, where you take the trash where you tell people they don't belong here. And Jesus died smelling of death, of filth, of our sin. And it actually tells us that the earth rumbled. There was thunder. Except it wasn't God coming to defend and fight Jesus, fight for Jesus. 
He was pouring out his wrath for you, for me. All so that your prayers would become heard and responded to reverse thunder. Because if you're made a priest in Christ, that means God accepts you not for what you've done, but solely by what Christ has done. And that you are clean, you are a fragrant offering. You smell good. <laughs> that's good news. And so that's the power that gets, that's going to get you to pray. That's why I wanted to start here. It's, it's an abstract, it's a beautiful picture. It's saying your prayers matter. You are a priest in God's kingdom. It's grace. It's the honor of be calling, to be called a priest. That you can walk right into the throne room. Your prayers go right up into his nose. And there is nothing that can keep you from him. That's what's going on right now, every week as we gather together. And it's going to continue until that last day when heaven will be reversed. Right? You know, we, we're always trying to get up to heaven, and God's saying, calm down, I'm coming down to you. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what's going to happen. And he says it's going to happen starting now through your prayers, as you pray for one another, as you pray for people to understand the gospel for the first time, as you pray for your, your sick and loved ones. The gospel alone gives your prayers dignity. It says God hears and God acts despite what you've done. And so conclusion, that's it. You're a priest, therefore pray. This is the one who loves you. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're, you're wondering why God isn't answering your prayers, um, you feel like a nobody, believe the gospel. You are stainless in God's presence through faith in Christ. It's forever taken away. The world may say you're a nobody, but God says you are a king and you will conquer. And no, yeah, that's a different sermon. And for those of us who are been praying, I, I pray that this just, it's like a shot of lightning, right? Clear, <laughs> start praying. It's not gonna feel as dramatic as, as revelation at times, but you're starting to tug on the string of God's throne room and we're called to watch as he pulls back and he comes down to fight. As a priest, your prayers have the ear of God and the nose of God. <laughs> so why would you not pray when heaven promises to thunder? Because of Christ. Let's pray. God, we just heard, um, heard good news. That you're listening even as we talk. And that even though you know the worst of us, uh, you accept us in Christ. And so I pray you would take away our doubt, our fear, our shame, and show us that because of Christ, we are a sweet smell in your presence and that you act. So teach us to pray. Use this series for your glory. Uh, use this series that we might know you better. And make us a church in this community well, that people will look around and see you thunder on our behalf, <laughs> that we'll see you act, uh, that the lost would come home, that our loved ones who, who've walked away from church would return, 
that you would not leave us alone. Lord, we, we are looking to you as our king, as our captain, and saying that all of your cosmic power and glory now fights for us in Christ. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.